imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, and welcome to Leadership Global. You know, we are so excited today to welcome an extra special guest, Bola Shakumbi, the CEO, best-selling author, and founder of Clever Girl Finance. I could not be more excited to speak with Bola about the secrets to achieving financial freedom and building real wealth. You know, it's really important for women, regardless of their marital status, single, divorced, widowed, or married, to take much more active role in their financial lives. By taking a much more active role, women will gain more clarity, more confidence, and more control of their lives. And in order to do so, women need to learn as much as possible about money. And that's why today's conversation is so important. For many women, money is an emotionally charged issue. It may represent power or love or control, especially in relationships. And our beliefs about money and our emotional attachment to it strongly influence the way we spend and the way we handle our money. So getting better uh, about money and having a deeper understanding about money actually takes work, but it doesn't have to be overwhelmed. Equipped with the right attitude and the right education, women can feel empowered and confident about their financial future. Clever Girl Finance is a financial education platform aimed at providing women with financial guidance that will inspire them to pursue and achieve their dreams of financial independence. And this is the driving force between, behind Clever Girl Finance. And to speak with us today about how to improve your money mindset organize your finances, set the right financial goals, and create a budget that works, is the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance, Bola Shakumbi. That's right, Linda. We're so thrilled to have Bola with us today. Let me tell you a little bit more about Bola. Bola is a certified financial education instructor, a money expert, a speaker, a writer, a podcaster, social media influencer, and mom, and the CEO, best-selling author, and founder of Clever Girl Finance. Her main goal is to help women become accountable, ditch debt, save money, and build real wealth. And Bola's goal is to help women take control of their finances, stop living paycheck to paycheck, and build wealth so that they can live the life they really want to live. She's been featured by Time.com, Money Magazine, Fortune, Good Morning America, CNBC, ABC News, Cheddar TV, NYC's PIX11 News, the Chicago Tribune, as well as several other media outlets. And Bola, we are thrilled to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I am so excited to talk to both of you amazing ladies. Thank you. We're thrilled to have you. Today's going to be an awesome uh, deep dive into the really juicy discussion of wealth management and taking control of your money. So tell us a little bit, Bola, about 
why you have such a passion around helping women take control of their personal finances. Yeah, so the story behind my passion is multifold, but it goes back to just me as a child observing my mom. So my mom got married very young. She was 19 years old. She married um, a guy who was in his 30s. She had a high school diploma and that was it. And she was a traditional mother, um, typical wife, stayed home, took care of four kids. But as my mom started to get older, and watching her friends, she started to see things happening that she didn't like, made her very uncomfortable. She was seeing her friends lose spouses, unfortunately, or get divorced or need to leave a bad relationship, but they had no idea of the family finances or they would have no access to the money or they just wouldn't know where things were. And so what would happen is that they would be left with the short end of the stick. And there are many times I would watch my mom console her friends who were in difficult situations like that, but they had no options. So my mother took it upon herself to go back to school to get her college degree, get a master's degree and become her own self-made woman standing on her own two feet, doing numerous side hustles. And lo and behold, several years later, she eventually became our family breadwinner when my father went through a financial downturn. And, you know, given the fact that it was a very traditional marriage, it was challenging for my dad to see his wife going to college and needing a babysitter when I, you know, you were supposed to be taking care of the kids. Uh, so fast forward many, many years. Um, I'm now in the same similar age as my mom. And I'm starting to see the same thing, similar things that my mom was experiencing when I used to sit in that little corner in the living room and observe her happening with my own friends, navigating finances, trying to leave difficult situations, wanting to get divorced and things like that. And one of the things I've always been passionate about, just you know, observing my mom and having her talk to me is wanting to do well with my money. And my mom would always tell me, you never want to be a liability on a man or on yourself. You need to be able to stand on your two, your own two feet. Doesn't matter who you marry. Doesn't matter any of that. You want to be able to have your own money. And so coming out of college, I was focused on how do I budget? How do I save? How do I invest? And I was able to do that. And I would always talk to my friends about money. So um, starting Clever Girl Finance was something that came to me out of passion. I wanted to help other women like me. I talked about money and financial wellness all the time to my friends and just starting to see my friends going through those situations and then acquaintances and coworkers. I was like, I just start sharing my story and sharing what I'm doing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about women and financial wellness. And you also have to keep in mind that like my mom, she came from a traditional life you know, expectation um, where if you think back, depending on the age of your listener um, to their mother's or their grandmother's age, the traditional way was, um, you know, the, the fathers would come home from work, the mom would have dinner ready, they sit on the table, eat, you know, and this is not everybody, I'm just giving you a broad example. And at the end of dinner, the, the dad will take his sons aside and talk about business and work. And the mothers will take their daughters into the kitchen and tidy up and talk about recipes. And Everybody has a great recipe from their grandmother, right? Um, but we are in a world today where women are choosing not to get married. Women are sole household earners. Women are breadwinners. Women are decision makers. And despite the gender wage gap, which is a different topic, um, a lot of women are earning more than their mothers and their grandmothers, right? Um, we no longer need the man to open a bank account or to buy a house or to get the mortgage. And so we're in this space where we have all these factors working against us, gender wage gap, investment wage gap, 
a finance institution that's built and designed for men by men, where we really have to take ownership of our money, of our financial wellness, knowing that we live longer on average, knowing that by our nature, we give, we want to take care of our children, we're choosing to stand on our own two feet. So all of that, you know, combined <laughs> is what drives my passion for financial wellness, specifically for women. Oh, what a great answer, Bula. And I will say, what an amazing role model to have with your mom. Your mom stepped into her power, learned about financial independence, and created that uh, for herself and for her family. She helped you get through college. She financed your ability to go to university. She took control of the family's finances. So what an amazing role model. Um, and, you know, it's true. You made a point that men and women are different in their approaches to money. And women have the, I think, additional burden of, you know, we are caretakers for our children. We're often caretakers for our parents. We tend to have a longer lifespan than our spouses. So based on that, the financial mindset and the lifestyle of men versus women can really impact their financial health. How do you see those differences manifesting? Yeah, so just to mention my mom, she has been such an incredible role model. She inspires a lot of, in fact, everything I do with Clever World Finance and a lot of what I do for my own kids, especially my daughter. Um, but men and women, um, very different. I see that with me and my husband. Um, I see that with my siblings. I see that with friends. And a lot of it is just transition generationally. Um, you know, what we don't know about money is because we were not taught, right? We can bake the cake and make the Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner. We have the recipes in our cupboards. Many of us do, but the finances is something that we weren't taught because our, our mothers, our grandmothers didn't necessarily know, right? And there's also the expectation of how girls are raised versus boys, especially if you step back a generation. Um, I remember growing up, a lot of my aunties, you know, what career aspirations are great, but the minute you get to marriage age, you need to find a husband, you need to have some babies, you're getting old. Whereas for guys, it's, um, oh, you should get a job, you should work hard, take care of your family, make money, make more money, invest, make more money. And it's, why is this uneven playing field? And even when a woman is successful, it gets attributed to the fact that, oh, maybe she has a rich boyfriend, or it has to be her husband. That still happens to me to today. Right. So a lot of the reason why there's differences with women and money has to do with what's transitioned down to us generationally, the learnings. Right. Which one of the things I'm trying to do and I encourage women to do in this day and age is to change that. Yes. Teach your daughters the incredible recipes. We all love a good cake. But at the same time, teach her about investing, about saving, about negotiating her salary, about earning more. Those are so important. And so. You know, those those factors exist, but there's also when you think about the differences between men and women, the burden that women have on themselves when you think about, you know, societal expectation. Right. So there is one thing of what your family expects from you, but then there's the other thing of what society expects from you. You should have this by this age. You should be married by this age. You should have these many kids. You should be at this level in your career. Um, if you haven't accomplished X, Y, Z, then, you know, you're, you're not good enough. And so a lot of us as women, because number one, we don't have that lear those learnings. There is that societal expectation. We come away with those things combined, telling ourselves we are bad with money. Right. And we have to keep in mind that 
we live longer, like you said, Linda, but we're not earning as much. And the fact that we're not earning as much means that we're also not investing as much, right? And so by nature, we tend to be more conservative. We're caregivers. We will give to everybody else before we think about ourselves. When it comes time to take time off of work, your boss, your office will tell you, listen, yeah, take the three months of maternity leave, right? But when you, and when you come back, it's not going to impact you. But guess what? Those are three months that you were not there to work and prove yourself and be top of mind to your boss. So it does impact you. Many women have to take time off of work to raise children because the cost of daycare is astronomical. Many women have to put their career, um, dreams, their business dreams on hold because they just can't manage the schedule with kids, with pursuing the, the career, with pursuing the business. These are things that men don't necessarily have to deal with. And, you know, I'm sure there are other burdens that men have, <laughs> like thinking about making money. But when you compare the two things, it's not the same, right? Um, and so there are differences. And I think it's important that as women, we we start to get comfortable with this idea that we have power. And if we just give ourselves a grace and we allow ourselves to um, just embrace our power, we can be successful. And so that starts with letting go of this societal expectation and focusing on what we truly want to accomplish, what's going to make us happy. This becomes, this means, you know, freeing yourself from the shame and embarrassment you carry about money mistakes and understanding that everybody has made a money mistake. This means when we're having conversations with our girlfriends about hair and reality TV and even sex, money becomes a normal conversation as well. And as opposed to comparing ourselves to each other, we make ourselves accountable to each other as we work towards building wealth, as we work towards negotiating um, for better pay, as we work towards investing, which is how we grow our money. And very importantly, as we work towards teaching our children, especially our daughters, about money to make this a more level playing field into the next generation. I think that makes so much sense. And, you know, if we look at just this year, Bola, you know, 2020 has just been such an you know, an economically devastating year to so many families. What can women do? Do you have any practical advice for how they can adjust financially to the downturn we've experienced in 2020 um, in terms of their personal finances? Yeah, so the downturn of this year has been devastating. It has been more so impactful, you know, to women, minority demographics, but women specifically, when you think about the fact that we just had this conversation before we started recording, our kids coming in to interrupt <laughs> meetings. Um, there are individuals I know who have had to close their businesses. They actively worked in their businesses, in their cleaning service, in their hair salon, and they couldn't go into work because there was nobody to watch their children. That it that can be devastating, especially for single mothers, especially for sole household earners. Um, there is the burden that I've read so many articles on this and just experience, experience this firsthand and talking to my friends, the burden of even if you're in a relationship, in a home, you're both working from home and a lot of the home management still falls on the mom. A friend of mine was talking about working from home. Her husband was also working from home. Kids were home. She got her kids ready, um, navigating breakfast, readjusting her schedule so she can give her kids lunch, help them on Zoom because they're really small. And her husband comes around. He's like, oh, I can't find my socks. <laughs> She's like, oh, excuse me. 
you're also here with me. So figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, this has been challenging uh, for many women. And so the advice I like to give is you have to look at it this way. Um, there are many things working against us that were working against us as women before this pandemic continue to work against us. And there's now added additions on them, especially if you have children, especially if you own your own business. It is a real struggle. And so the first thing I want people to know, women to know, is that this situation is temporary, right? Um, a lot of people are getting caught up in the woe is me, you know, I can't believe this is happening and, and that those are valid, but I want people to be optimistic. I want women to be optimistic and look ahead and don't allow how you currently feel to be the roadblock from preventing you to create plans, right? You may have lost your income. You may not be able to go to work. You may be facing challenges with your kids being home, but the one thing that's in your control right now is the ability to create a plan. It's the ability to create a roadmap of where you want to go to despite what's happening right now. If you are fortunate to be working, you're employed, your business is bringing in income, the number one thing you want to do is save. Cash is queen right now, especially given the fact that the economy is still being pieced together by all these different plans, stimulus checks, PPE loans, student loan deferral programs, all these things that are not long-term sustainable. So it's really important that you save so that as time progressive, if there are economic issues that impact your job or your business, you can navigate through the season. If you're in that position where your finances have been impacted, you've lost an income, you have no income coming in, apply for the benefits that you qualify for. Call your lenders, call your service providers, ask for assistance. There's no shame in this game. It's about being able to survive, get yourself back on your feet, and depending on whatever situation you're in, you can still create a plan. You can create a plan to save more. You can create a plan to recover, to pay off the debt in the future. But you want to give yourself some control over the situation. And you can do that by creating a plan. This is also the time to get super creative. If you look back to 2008, the Great Recession, if you look back even further to the Great Depression in the 1930s, you'll see that during those periods of history in the United States, those periods of time generated the highest number of millionaires in any given period of time. And that's because when things got tough, when things got difficult, people got creative. They got out of their comfort zones. They did things to bring income in. This could be the time to start that business. This could be the time to get a part-time job, keeping yourself safe. This could be the time to go through your kitchen, go through your closet and declutter and sell. There are so many people out there who are being mindful of their money. They don't want to go into the store to buy a new microwave or buy a new stroller. They want to get a bargain. And you may have one in your garage, in your spare bedroom that you don't use, that you can bring extra money in to help you get through this season. So first thing, do not be discouraged. Second thing, create a plan and figure out what is that first step I need to take to get through this difficult season, given the fact that there's all these things working against us. Um, we have to take control. We have to take, take back power, or create power for ourselves in order to navigate this. Yeah, I love that, Bola, especially this idea of creating a plan. So Turning a page a little bit to you, what was the best financial decision that you've ever made? And what would you recommend for women that are just now beginning to organize their finances, they're beginning to set the right financial goals, and they're starting to think about a budget that will actually work for them? 
That's a great question. When people ask me that, they typically expect me to talk about an investment or a purchase or, you know, something like that. But for me, it was a simple decision and it was deciding to be, it was deciding to be intentional about my finances, deciding to understand how it worked, deciding that I was going to create a legacy for my children, for my parents, make my parents proud. Um, you know, I talk about my mom and my dad, and if anybody reads my story, they'll hear that, you know, my parents lived abroad. Um, but both of my parents actually come from extreme poverty. Um, they're both first in first in families to go to college. Um, my dad has a twin sister who is not formally educated, which means my aunt does not read and write because my grandfather did not believe in educating the female child. And they were also extremely poor, right? My my aunt, and my dad, and all of those people would go to the farm. And it took a lot of convincing for my grandfather to take his kids off of the farm and put them in a classroom, right? And in his mind, he was going to educate his most valuable child, which was the male child. And so for me, knowing where I come from, knowing my family's background, just setting that intention, deciding I wanted to do well and committing to it was the best financial decision that I ever made. And I think for anyone who's getting started or even starting over, right? Because it's perfectly fine to start over no matter your age, no matter your background, no matter where you come from, from, it's important to set that intention and adjust your mindset. The steps to building wealth, the steps to budgeting, saving, paying off debt, investing are the steps. That wheel does not change very often. It's that circle. You have to work it in order for it to roll, right? But your mindset, setting that intention, that's typically the challenge people have. It's telling ourselves we are bad with money. Nobody in my family has ever been successful. I have so much debt. I can never pay this off. I don't earn enough money. For many people, well, that's the limitation. That's the block that sets them back for years because they cannot get past that mindset. They cannot just get past those thoughts and that limits that limits them so much. So setting the intention, you don't know what you don't know. You don't have what you don't have. But when you set the intention, then you're more compelled to take that first step. Okay, I'm going to create a plan. I'm going to pick up a book. I'm going to start to budget. I'm going to get it spreadsheet. You start to take those actions because you're dismissing people telling you about your family history. You're dismissing people telling you you're meant to be debt, be in debt. That's the American way. You're dismissing being overwhelmed by the amount of debt that you have, even if you don't have the income. So that intention piece, um, it gets minimized. It gets, you know, the budget is not the cure. It's you. It's in your head. It's in your heart. That's where it starts. So that's what I will tell anybody. Set that intention, adjust your mindset, and get prepared for the journey. I love that. And I think especially for women, you talked about kind of getting stuck in the mindset loop, Bola. But one of the places I think women get stuck a lot is in this idea of overspending, especially. So, you know, how can women, I know you're giggling, how can women become a budgeting boss and, you know, really learn how to create a budget that works that they can stick to while curbing their kind of overspending habits? You know, I think everybody has been guilty of overspending. I recently did a YouTube video um, that I shared on social media where I talked about the 10 things I no longer buy. And um, those 10 things are also tied to a lot of money mistakes that are tied to a lot of overspending. So I'm not a saint here. Um, nobody is. And if anyone is pretending to be <laughs> that saint, you need to move on to somebody else. Um, <laughs> So I think when it comes to budgeting, you know, first of all, it's really getting clear on what your budget is. Many people look at budget as punishment. Um, 
it's restriction. It's, you know, my money telling me what to do. I don't like to deal with it. Nobody likes budget. I don't really like a budget, right? Right. But when you flip the idea of what a budget is on its head, then you get more comfortable about it, right? So a budget is you as the boss telling your money what to do. You are the CEO, your money those are your employees, right? They come into the office. You're like, you go pay off debt. You go plan the vacation. You save, you invest. I'm telling you what to do. If you have a company and your employees just come in and hang in the break room, leave early, come come in late, you, you wonder why your company is crashing. It's because you have no control, right? So your budget is you telling your money what to do. First thing, change your mindset about budget. Second thing, There's no rule that says a budget needs to be called a budget. Call it whatever you want. Call it because I'm so fabulous. This is my plan to win. Call it because I'm going to be a millionaire. Call it because I'm going to be debt-free. I'm building generational wealth. Call it something that gets you excited and knowing that this is you telling your money what to do. The second thing is to give yourself grace. Budgeting is not about perfection, right? A lot of people are like, I'm going to create this budget. And if I don't stick to it, if I haven't stuck to it by the end of the month, I'm a failure. I'm bad with money. I don't know how to budget. No, a budget is just to help you track how you are spending, help you assess and adjust for the next month. It is basically a guide. It's you looking at how your transactions are going and adjusting accordingly. So it's a work in progress. It's not something you create at the beginning of the month, at the beginning of the year, and then set it and then forget it. It's something that you should be checking in for a few minutes every day just to see how you're doing. That is the purpose. And so I always tell people like, when it comes to budgeting, um, there's no one right way. The best way to budget, the best method to budget is the one that works for you. This means you can use an app, you can use a pen and paper, you can use a spreadsheet, you can use a hybrid, right? Um, the budget that works is the one that you're, you're compelled to open and check in on, right? The only kind of budget that does not work is mental budgeting. And we all know that because we've all been guilty. We're in the store, we're looking at the shoes like, oh my God, okay, $200 here. I know I can figure it out next month and then the, whatever's going to happen and magic, I figured it out and you spend it, but you really didn't have the money to buy these shoes. You just figured out how to convince yourself at the store and you're home with a ton of regrets. So um, again, the other thing that I will say is make sure you're creating a budget in advance of every month because no two months are the same, right? Life can happen. Um, you may have a trip while we're quarantined, but in the future, a trip, you may be planning um, you know, for something. You may have an unplanned expense. Um, and then factor all your expenses and your goals into your budget. So you want this budget to actually work for you, which means you want to accommodate everything. So saving for retirement, you should have a line item in your budget that accommodates weekly deposits or bi-weekly deposits, saving for emergencies, line item, saving to open your business, line item, saving for a trip, clothing, whatever, line item, saving to pay off debt, making more than the minimum payments, line item in your budget. And there's also those expenses that people typically forget, right? Like subscriptions, like co-pays, like getting your hair and nails done. Those are all things that should be in your budget. That way, this budget gives you a full picture of everything that you have to spend money on. And it also helps you get clear on, okay, I just got my paycheck. Can I cover all these expenses or do I need to adjust accordingly? So When it comes to budgeting, it's a work in progress. It's not about perfection. It's about trial and error. And then at the end of every month, you look back at your budget, you assess what went wrong. What was I totally unrealistic about? Because sometimes we just budget like we have an unlimited (laughs) amount of money coming in. And then reality hits when you assess the budget. You're like, oh, no, I couldn't have afforded that. There's no way. So you assess 
for the next month and you adjust accordingly. So budget is all about work in progress. It's your plan. You are the boss. Call it whatever you want to call it. Check in on it often. Assess and then implement for the next month. I That's so smart, Bola. And there are a couple of things that you said that just really struck me. One, you are in charge of your money and you get to tell your money what you want your money to do for you. So that to me is just incredibly empowering. Second thing you said is that, you know, this is a journey. This isn't a destination. And, you know, one month you may have an unexpected health issue that you have to deal with. The next money, the next month you may have a, some sort of car expense that you weren't expecting. And so it's a journey and it's something that needs constant adjusting. And I think that's really smart. And so, you know, one of the themes here is not only taking financial control, but also becoming financially independent. So what are some of the best first steps from your perspective to create multiple income streams to accelerate either your debt payoff or save more money, achieve financial goals, plan for retirement? What are some of the best first steps to create those multiple income streams so that your money really is working hard for you? That's a great question. And when it comes to creating income streams, I think a lot of people need to be mindful of the purpose of that income, right? The last thing you want to do is put all this effort into creating all these different income streams. And then all this money is going towards debt um, that's being, you know, that's accumulating interest. And it's like, what am I spending all this time generating income stream for when I haven't tackled my debt? So the first step is really to get a hold of your debt and have a plan, have a plan for your high interest debt to get ahead of um, those interest payments. Because when it comes to debt, what keeps people stuck is rarely the principal balance, right? If you had a 0% balance and you're making a fixed payment every month, that debt will go away. The challenge is interest and compounding and how it compounds daily and monthly and weekly and however, whatever is in the fine print, which in many instances, when you look at it, many people end up paying much, much more than they borrowed, right? Classic case is your, is your mortgage, your home. You buy a home for $100,000 and 30 years later, and when you factor in interest payments, you paid like $500,000 for this $100,000 house. So your goal is to get ahead of the interest payments. And what you're doing in order to do that, you need to make more payments in excess of the minimum. Keep in mind that lenders, banks, credit card companies do not want you to make extra payments because they make money on interest and they make money on interest when you make minimum payments so that the interest can compound on the principal balance to the maximum extent. So don't listen to the bank when they say, oh yes, you can make these payments and we can reduce your, your minimum payment. We can do this. No, if you can afford to make extra payments, do it. So once that's under control, you have the plan to pay off debt, shift to thinking about creating income streams. And the lowest barrier to entry, right, is investing, right? How do you begin investing? For many people, their first touch with investing is through an employer's plan if they offer one or by starting their own IRA if your employer doesn't have one or if you are self-employed. It's a low barrier to entry. You don't need a ton of money to start investing. And investing is how you grow your money, right? And over time with appreciation, um, dividends, compounding, that becomes an income stream. It's right there. It's easy to reach. It takes time and consistency over time, but that's the first place to start. Second place, passive income streams or not just passive income, but other income streams is 
low barrier to entry. Look around your home, like I said. What do you have that is staring you in the face that you don't need to have that you can take this money, you can sell it, take this money and put it towards an investment, put it towards a side hustle or business idea, do something else and just staring at this thing. That's how I felt about my handbags, by the way, Linda. I would walk into my closet and they would be staring back at me and I would in my head just see stacks of dollar bills. I'm like, this is so stupid. I cannot, I have to sell these things and put it to better use. So Think about things that you own and then start to educate yourself about other ways to invest, investing in your own brokerage accounts, investing in real estate, investing in business, be it your own business or somebody else's business. And each of these categories have different ways that you can generate multiple income streams, but start with the lowest barrier to entry, which is taking advantage of an employer plan an IRA, selling the things that are staring you in the face that you don't need, and then start to explore other revenue streams. One really important thing to keep in mind is that when you are thinking about creating multiple streams of income, um, don't consider your job to be enough, right? Um, with your job, there's a cap to how much you can earn, and that's based on what your employer is willing to pay you. And this comes in the form of you exchanging your time for money. When you step out of that mindset and you think about ways to invest to generate more income streams, there is no cap to how much you can earn, to how much your money can grow. And that's really, really important. The second thing is that building multiple streams of income requires you to step outside of your comfort zone. It's not going to be comfortable. You can't be in front of your TV watching Netflix and expect the income streams to happen. You can do this after you've established those income streams, be in front of Netflix all day, right? That's the whole point of having money. <laughs> But before that, you're going to have to put in some groundwork. And then finally, I will say that be patient. Income streams take time. Um, people get caught up by seeing people on social media showing, you know, I have three income streams. I invest there. I have this. Money's coming from there. But um, it takes time. If, you're really to, if you were to really dig into their backstory, it took time or they're telling you lies. So be patient with yourself. Take time to learn how things work and work your plan. We talked about a plan earlier on. Start taking steps on the, the on that plan to start creating those income streams. Well, I want to just switch gears for a minute and talk a little bit about um, topics that will be just like really relevant for entrepreneurs listening. So for entrepreneurs, what is the best advice that you can give to them in creating a solid business plan or simplifying your business finances so that they can grow their business? Maybe it is one of their income streams, but you know, simplifying and growing is, uh, is a challenge. And so what advice could you offer our entrepreneurs? That's such a simple yet loaded question because there's so much to say about that. Um, I'm a huge fan of business. I'm a business owner. I've had side hustles when I worked full time for as long as I can remember. It's a great way to bring income. It's a great way to remove that income cap right? When you work for an employer, but you have to be strategic. And there are many mistakes that many business owners make. Um, the first thing is when it comes to creating a business plan, you want to make it simple and understand your business plan is a work in progress. It's you trying to create a plan to grow this thing. It's not you downloading Coca-Cola's 1000 page business plan and trying to adjust it for yourself. You're never going to review that thing, right? Um, it's also being particular about your finances, especially in the early stages when money is tight in business or you haven't figured out your revenue streams or income streams, but you haven't quite gotten your product or service um, off the ground. It's being very particular and it's measuring how your business is doing. So many business owners are mixing personal finance and business finance 
blended together in one account. First of all, you can get in trouble with the IRS, right? Not an accountant, but your accountant would tell you. Second of all, there's no way to measure your progress. How do you know what products are selling best? How do you know what expenses are really sinking you if you cannot clearly look at your business finances? So it's really getting clear and it's having a business budget. I don't think this term is as popular as it needs to be. People say, well, just get QuickBooks, just get this other app. Those are accounting apps. What they do is they measure and compile your expenses. They don't budget. They don't plan for you. They don't forecast for you. And they also cannot read your mind. They don't know your goals. They just crunch numbers for your accountant so you can file your business taxes. But you want to have a business budget. And your business budget is to you what your personal finance budget is, right? And that means what are the costs you're paying for in your business every single month? How much money is your business bringing in? And when you compare your costs to your income, business income, how are you doing? And what particular products and services are bringing in those costs, bringing that income? And what expenses are driving those costs? And how can you cut back? Having a business budget is so key. You can also plan for future things you want to do in your business. Want to launch a new product? Add a line item and create a business savings account to put money there. Are you, do you have a seasonal business and know that when summer comes around or winter rolls around, your revenue will be low? Create a line item to put money in a business emergency fund. These are things that we need to be actively doing as business owners. Another really great tip is a lot of business owners will say, well, you know, I, I can't, you're telling me to save for retirement. I cannot save for retirement as a business owner. Yes, you can. There are many uh, accounts like a solo 401k, a SEP IRA, depending on your business structure, employees that you can put into place to start saving for retirement, right? And then also as a business owner, how do you invest, right? Um, your business in itself is a huge risk, right? Because it's tied to your ability to work in this business, grow revenue, grow profits. But do you know, as a business owner, you can invest on behalf of your business? And where this really came to light for me, opening my eyes was reading a book, or I think it was, I was reading a book or listening to something on McDonald's. And when we think about McDonald's, we think about it as this fast food company. All they do is sell food. But if we were to look at their balance sheet, well, at the time of whenever that, you know, thing was written, one of their largest holdings, if not the largest holding was real estate that they invested in, not food, right? And, you know, and so, and then when you think about companies like Apple, and Google that actively invest in other businesses. You can actually open up a brokerage account for your business and invest in the stock market on behalf of your business and use your business as a way to generate wealth. So it's all about being strategic and tactical and having a business plan that's clear on what you want to accomplish, having a business budget and having a plan that, okay, fine, I'm running this business. It may have a few bumpy rides, but guess what? I can invest elsewhere and create an additional buff buffer, creating a business emergency fund, creating business savings accounts, the things that you think about for yourself, right? Consider your business as another human being, like your clone, <laughs> and do those same things you do for yourself, for your business, budget, pay off debt, save, and invest. <laughs> That's great. And such good advice. And it, it seems so simple. And yet um, I think it's rare to find a business owner that's taking that to heart and doing those things. So thank you for that incredibly common sense kind of guidance and advice, Bola. So last question for you. And again, I feel a little greedy even asking you for more advice because you've given us such wisdom, such insight this afternoon. Thank you so much. 
but wondering what the best leadership advice it is that you've received. You know, you have created an empire yourself at a very young age, and certainly you've received a lot of really great advice over time. So what is the best piece of leadership advice that you've received and put into practice that you would share with our audience? I think I just look young, Linda. Don't let looks deceive you. (laughs) Well, you do look young. Yes, for sure. But the best leadership advice I received was from one of my dear advisors. And, you know, when you start a business and you start to build a team, um, your business is your baby. It's difficult to um, to let go of certain things. But at the same time, it's easy to become the hindrance because you are the reason why the business is not growing. Right. And she told me, do not become your own bottleneck. Um, and I take that to heart, right? If I go on vacation, my business should be able to run. If I'm sick, my business should be able to run. People shouldn't have to rely on me because I think I'm misperfectionist and I'm, I can do everything and I don't need people. Um, when it's your business, sometimes, a lot of times, most times, no one else can do it like you do it, but they can do it, right? And so don't let that you wanting to do it all and you wanting to stay in control and micromanage be the reason why you don't grow, why you don't succeed. And for me, um, that reason is more so impactful because the business that I run, Clever Girl Finance, is actively changing lives. And I don't want me being the bottleneck to be the reason why we couldn't help a woman out there who was trying to get her finances together to change her life. So that's the best leadership advice I've gotten. Just don't be your own bottleneck. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I think that's amazing leadership advice. And honestly, just again, Bola, today you've been just full of practical, tangible, easy to understand action steps that really sort of demystifies this idea of building wealth and taking control of your finances for women. And you do it in such a beautiful way. So thank you so much for your time today and for the wisdom that you've brought to our listeners and our audience. We're so grateful. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. This was so great. Yeah, you are you are a light, Bola. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners at Leadership Global and be sure to tune in next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.